You're listening to the WNBA History Club. Welcome to episode four of the WNBA History Club. I'm your host, Tara Lopez, and we have such a special episode for you all today. We have our first guest on the podcast, and I'm honestly still kind of in shock that it happened. Shout out to Jasmine and Sarah for the connect. I got to speak to the legendary Val Ackerman. Val Ackerman, the first president of the WNBA. Val Ackerman, now commissioner for the Big East Conference. Val Ackerman, a.k.a. The Goat. We've absolutely talked about Val before on the podcast, but a brief history on Val. She played basketball in high school and got records for most points scored by any player, male or female at her school. She also dominated in field hockey, setting the school scoring record there, and she ran on the track team. She went to University of Virginia, where she dominated there, too. She was twice named All-American, and she was the school's first player to score 1,000 points, male or female. She played overseas in France before getting hired at the NBA as a staff attorney and then worked as a special assistant to the late, great David Stern. We talk about that experience a bit. And then she got promoted to business affairs for the NBA. She was VP of business affairs. So all of this would lead her to become the WNBA's first president, where she played an invaluable role over her eight years in the league. She truly helped the WNBA become what it is today. Fun fact, she would become the first woman ever to successfully launch and operate a women's sports team. Overall badass, overall one of my biggest inspirations in my life. I remember being a kid, 12, 13, glued to the TV, watching Val Ackerman, and one day just thinking like, Damn, how do I become that? So yeah, I grew up watching and worshiping Belle Ackerman. She was this boss woman in power suits who helped create this league that would forever change the sport of women's basketball. So to say I was honored to speak to her would be a severe understatement. I'll stop rambling and get to this interview where we speak to Val Ackerman about the early years of the WNBA, the triumphs and obstacles of the league, and how it felt to be an integral part of the league's history. Enjoy. I really just can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day. I know you're probably insanely busy. It's such an honor to be able to talk to you. So thank you so much. Happy to help in any way I can. I am so grateful. You have no idea. You're such a huge inspiration to me. So this is an honor. You played such a huge part, obviously, of the WNBA and getting it off the ground. But I wanted to ask you, you have such an extensive sports background. Like high school, you set so many records. And in college, you did as well at the University of Virginia. I want to note, did you always know that, and not only basketball, right? You played field hockey, you ran track. Did you know that you wanted to have a career in sports? Um, well, the answer is probably yes. I mean, I, I, did, I grew up in a small town. Um, this was well before um, Title IX was mm-hmm. passed. And so there were very few opportunities, actually, for, for young girls who were interested in sports to, you know, to do that. And I was lucky because my dad was a... Um, he was a high school athletics director himself. He was an athlete growing up. So he was um, really my ticket. You know, uh, me and my brother, we would do 
backyard stuff and basement, you know, ping pong. <laughs> we had a hoop in the driveway. He would take us to tennis courts. We'd hit balls back and forth with him. I think the only thing he didn't really push us on was golf or, golf or skiing. For some reason, we didn't make the list. But everything else, you know, we covered off. So that really um, was my foundation. And then it wasn't until I got to high school that I was able to play um, organized sports. I, I was a swimmer for a long time, but, but there was no, no teams for girls in my junior high school. And so it was high school where I just kind of went crazy. I played field hockey and basketball and ran track. And then was fortunate to get a, a basketball scholarship in the early years of Title IX to go to the University of Virginia and, and kind of everything sort of flowed from that. But um, it is exciting to see that girls and women have more opportunities now to play and to cheer for their favorite teams um, and to lead sports organizations in particular. Right. So um, it has been a, quite a journey for me. And, and I do feel like I've had a front row seat to see a lot of these changes unfolding. I want to ask you, so before becoming the president of the WNBA, you worked a lot with the late, great David Stern and as a special assistant uh, before being promoted to VP of Business Affairs. Can you talk a little bit about how he influenced you in those early years? Well, he, um, I was very fortunate to have several mentors, but I, I would put David pretty much at the top of the list. In fact, um, after we both left the league, um, I left before he did. Um, we stayed very, very much in touch. And, and I actually miss him now because there's a lot going on in our world that I would love to get his opinions about. He never was shy about telling you what he thought. Um, and so he's, he's deeply missed by, my, by me and many. Um, but he, um, I would say, as it related to the WNBA, you know, re really was, he was the muscle. I mean, he was the one that um, I think had the idea for the league in, in a, you know, top drawer of a desk when he became commissioner in 84, but it wasn't time, it wasn't, it didn't have the buildup that it needed to be successful. Um, and so we just sort of bided his time. And then it really was the early 90s that things started to come together, I think, in a bigger way in women's team sports, particularly women's basketball. We saw UConn and Tennessee rising. Um, their rivalry um, re really did, I think, propel the sport in a, in a major way. ESPN got interested. The NCAA Women's Final Four became a bigger event, um, which fueled ESPN's interest. And then, of course, UConn got really good. And that was very energizing, particularly for Northeast media. So we were eyeing all of that beginning in the early 90s. And then importantly, we were working with USA Basketball as well on the uh, national teams, which um, had the best players starting on the NBA side and then, and then now the WNBA side. But seeing the interest around, for example, the Atlanta Olympics, yeah, um, where our women's team won a gold medal, was um, really revealing to us. Um, the The NBA was marketing that team. I was very involved in that effort, and that really was a launch pad for us coming out of Atlanta. Um, you know, going into the WNBA the next year with that as our again our sort of run up. But again, David made what he made possible was. Um, sort of putting the NBA behind all that, and importantly, dealing with NBA owners um, who had to who had to agree to the capitalization plan. And David was the one that said, "Guys, it's time. Um, this is good for us. We're going to play 
um, in NBA buildings. We're going to put it on big networks. He, he was the one that said, this will be a major league undertaking. This isn't going to be some minor league thing here. We're going to make it um, a major league sport. And the, and the owners said, okay, we're there. And that was really the beginning. So you know, How I mean, incredible. Five years later, here we are. Right. How incredible too, because in my research for this podcast, I had discovered that there were so many leagues starting, you know, in the 70s and 80s that had really attempted to do what the WNBA has successfully done. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, for whatever reason, failing pretty rapidly. So, it's remarkable to me that 25 years later, the league is thriving and is able to really have accomplished what, you know, so many people tried. That's, that's amazing. I remember in 1997 being glued to the television for the tip-off. I remember the feeling and the, the excitement of just of staring out at the screen and seeing people that look like me on the court. Um, you were obviously right there, center court, you threw the tip off. How did you, I mean, I'm sure the energy from the players and the crowd was crazy. Could, did it feel as historic as it was? It really did. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that day in June of 97. Um, the first game was uh, Liberty at Sparks. Yeah. Um, so with sort of Rebecca Lobo, who was a, a marquee name, Mm -hmm. Lisa Leslie, who went on to be one of the all-time greats, um, head-to-head, if you will, um, at the Los Angeles Lakers old building, right? the, the fabled um, Great Western Forum in Inglewood, not far from the airport. And it was, um, it was, a it was the culmination of, of much work by our staff, um, a lot of anticipation because the NBA was behind it. Um, and frankly, you know, I, I, I remember the crowd was, it, I mean, people were crying, oh, <laughs> you know, I bet. They, they were, I think a lot of women who were just um, overjoyed at, at this idea that they could cheer for a women's pro sports team and not just the guys. And so it was, there were some uh, mishaps during the day, you know, that um, kind of the B-roll, if you will, <laughs> of things that happened behind the scenes that were kind of funny and unexpected. And we had a couple of glitches to be honest, but the, the camera didn't see that. And, and when things were rolling, um, I think it was, you know, to, your, to use your word, historic. It wasn't the world's greatest game, to be honest. It was kind of spotty. I think the players were really nervous. Totally. They knew what was on their shoulders here and, and, and kind of, you know, they were sort of very, taking very seriously their, their responsibility to, to, you know, to play well. And I think they were, again, very jittery. So it wasn't the best basketball game I've ever seen, but it was a very emotional experience, to say the least. Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I can't even imagine how it felt to be in the arena and to be on that court because you could feel it through the TV screen. I, I was definitely one of those people crying watching that game. You, you mentioned some like glitches and some mishaps. What were the most profound challenges you faced in those early years la launching the league? Well, putting the league together, just pulling it off was a tremendous amount of work. I mean, we were lucky because David put the NBA behind it. So I, I we, our, our sort of internal team had access to everybody um, in the company. So there were hundreds of people um, just in the league office that were involved. You know, our teams were all NBA teams at that time. And so they weren't really women's basketball experts, but they did have all the other capabilities. 
Um, in terms of how to run a local franchise. So we had the benefit of their operations people and their marketing people and sales people and, and medical people and so on. So we had no, I think, no shortage of manpower. The challenge really was coordinating all that, which we did from New York. Um, I think, you know, the challenge was the skepticism. Mm-hmm. There were naysayers for as many people, uh, you know, maybe like you who were like, this is great and it's about time. And, you know, you're right there with us. There were, there were our fair share of folks who were skeptical and, you know, didn't think this was going to work. And they weren't women's sports advocates. So they were probably cheering for us not to make it. And so I think countering the, um, the disbelievers, you know, was sort of always, they were always around the corner. And the good news was the league did really well early. I mean, we had great crowds. We were projecting crowds early in the three to 5,000 range. And then ticket sales reports were coming in and we said, wait, wow, they're, we're selling a lot of tickets here. Maybe we should upgrade it to 7,000 fans a game. Yeah. And then the first season we were at 10,000 fans a game is where we ended up or nearly, nearly there. So there was um, a, a, a tremendous um, kind of response from the, fan, from the fan marketplace. Some of it may have been the novelty and that did settle down. So I think the real challenge is, frankly, you know, starting up was hard, but the challenges were almost later. As things settled down and the, the curious fell away and the people who were concerned and interested stuck with us, and then we kind of started to have more highs and lows. Yeah. Um, during my, you know, we grew quickly. I was David. David, I'm, I'm, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, we don't have enough players. And he really wanted to push it. And then we ended up folding some teams. So that part of the journey was tough was really tough. Um, but I, I think what the league stood for then and now remains beacon-like, mm-hmm. you know, for, um, for women and for women in sports and certainly for women's basketball. So, uh, and that is in fact, you know, those up and downs are part of the journey of any sports league. Just ask any league and they'll tell you that's part of their history. Do you have any specific memorable moments those first few years that stand out to you as definitive moments for the league? I know that might be a, a hard question, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, this every every game, every opening game I went to uh, when the yeah. league started, I was on a long road trip, so I went to L.A. and then I think I landed in Utah, and then I went to Phoenix, and then I landed in Houston. I think I went four games, you know, four cities in five days or something to see all their opening nights, and they were all amazing. Um, then, of course, the Liberty, you know, the opening game for the Liberty. David was with me with his wife, Diane, and my husband, Charlie, my mother, my mother-in-law. I mean, mm-hmm. we were all sitting there looking around. It was 19,000 people in the garden. Wow. Never forget that. Um, and then, yeah, it just sort of got punctuated. I mean, the Comets wins, they were a, they were a, they did a four-peat in the first a dynasty. You know, they were the first dynasty, and that was incredible. Um, I'll remember our first All-Star game. Maybe I'll end with this one for now. The, the first WNBA All-Star game was in 99. Mm-hmm. So we didn't do it right away. We took a couple years. And then it was on the heels of the first Women's World Cup in 99, where Team USA won, the, uh, won, the, won it you know, in California in front of that huge crowd in Pasadena. And then our All-Star game came after that, and we had them there. I mean, we had most of the team coming. Oh my so here we were in a sold-out garden with them there to, you know, kind of be part of this women's sports celebration. And I'll never forget, we had Whitney Houston do the anthem. Oh, and it was, yeah. the, it was one of the greatest anthems. We had her surrounded by little girls. Um, and it was just like, it wasn't a dry eye. And she was, a, she was magnificent. 
And, and that was, you know, just added. It was sort of the glitz on one end and then the, you know, our, our fans and the grassroots elements of that on the other side of it all coming together in this magnificent way. So um, lots of memories um, beyond those, but those come to mind. Oh my gosh, 99. Uh, so my very first job was I was a Sacramento Monarchs ball girl. And it was the coolest job I've ever had. It was amazing just being able to see behind the scenes because I had, you know, been such a fan of the WNBA. So to be a small little part in it and get to know some of those players, it was seriously the coolest job I've ever had. I loved, I loved that team. I went out oh. there many times. They had some great fans there as well Incredible. and had some real success on the court. So yeah, yeah. Sorry they're not with us anymore. One day, my, my goal is to bring, Maybe, bring, bring that back. team back. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have an all-time favorite player? Oh, that's a hard question. I, I don't want to get myself in trouble here because I love <laughs> so many of them. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, uh, we'll, we'll forever be indebted to um, Lisa Leslie mm-hmm. and Cheryl Swoops and Rebecca, who were the first ones to sign on. There was another league, the American Basketball League, that was also launching coming out of the Atlanta Olympics and a lot of players, they, they convinced a lot of players to go with them. Uh, but those three didn't, they came with us and were foundational, Absolutely. particularly to our early promotional efforts. Um, you know, we, I, I remember, you know, Kim Parat made a big impression mm-hmm. on many of us. She lost her to cancer. Um, in the early years of the league, she was the heart and soul of the Comets. And that was, I remember a devastating day, um, when we lost Kim during the season um, and, and sort of her memory, you know, lives on, I think in, in everybody who knew her. Um, I have to confess, I'm a huge Diana Taurasi fan. I mean, oh, that's me the time I left the league. I mean, I left the league. I decided to leave in um, 2004. I'd been the president for eight years and, you know, it was hard, you know, especially, you know, with M and Sal, my two daughters and the running around I did. And, and that was, probably one of the best things I did was to take that break and, and mm-hmm. spend more time with them. Um, but when I left, Diana was coming into the league. And I have to say, I just figured she was going to be Michael Jordan. She was going to take oh, it yeah. to the next level. And she has in some ways. But I think she's just a, you know, a gamer, yeah. like very few other. Um, she's had, she, she's just been, you know, overseas. Um, she's very decorated as a U.S. national team player and um, just about as real um, a person as you could probably imagine. So I would, you know, there's a lot of great players I've come across, but I would put her very much in, you know, in that top tier. Absolutely. She's the GOAT, as they say, as they call her. During your time as president for those eight years, what kind of social impact did you see as a result because of the league? And I'm, I'm sure, like you were saying, people were crying. I'm sure you heard from a lot of girls and women about how, you know, they were probably sharing their personal stories of how inspiring it was. How was that experience for you for those eight years? Well, I would say, um, you know, I think a lot is being made now of the, you know, of the social justice stance mm-hmm. that's being taken by the league. Um, and sort of that cause element, if you will, that they've infused in, into, the, into the games. Um, I would say that for us, the league itself was the cause. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that makes sense. The fact that we were able to get this league off the ground, I mean, that was the statement. It was, we're here. You know, we got next. Um, and it wasn't just about the players. I mean, we had a lot of women early on. This is 25 years ago who were working in the league office. I mean, a lot of my staff were women. I hired women. 
Um, we had quite a few female coaches mm. get started. Um, we had sort of female GMs running the teams or, or heads of business ops that were women. We had female doctors. We had female referees. My first supervisor of officials, I had, I used um, two and they were both female. Um, two of three, I had three, two were female. And the other was as big a women's basketball fan as you can imagine. And so there really was this, again, sense that um, we, were, we were blazing a trail mm. for women in team sports. And so that was the cause that we were rallying around every single day. Now, on top of that, we did other sort of cause marketing programs from the get-go. So we, we were early into breast cancer awareness, in part because a couple of players had mothers afflicted with that. We got in early on heart disease, which is the number one killer of women, more so than cancer. And, and so that was on our list. We were doing uh, literacy programs and, and fitness programs in part because the NBA was too. So we were collaborating there. But I would say that sense of purpose, yeah. that this was about um, something new and unique and, and really powerful for women in sports was always on our minds. I, I just have to say again, I mean, just the impact on myself, I feel like, you know, my first job being a ball girl, I was able to see so many successful women around me. And it really opened up my mind and, the, and, and just my ability to dream and to know, like, I can be confident in dreaming more for myself. And it really has helped open up so many doors. I mean, I'm a basketball player myself. But basketball has really opened up the doors for me in so many different areas of my life. The WNBA is obviously a huge part of my life still. But yet, you touched on the social justice I, I wanted to bring up this year specifically. I feel like the WNBA has always been at the forefront of initiatives, like you were saying, with breast cancer, heart disease, literacy programs. But specifically this year, they are even more so pioneers of social justice and voting initiatives. Are, are you proud? Are you, you know, you, you've been there from the beginning and now you're seeing them really, I, I mean, I feel proud. So I can't even imagine how you feel about these women really taking charge and kind of seeing others follow suit? Well, it, you know, it is inspiring to say the least. Um, you know, just, I, I would sort of say it's, it doesn't surprise me mm -hmm. at all. Um, I think this sort of activism has, has long been a part of the NBA's DNA. Um, so David, you know, my boss, David Stern was um, an early adopter of the power of sport to um, make positive change in society. Mm. Um, he cared about that. Um, and, and so was thinking community service, for example, when no other sports league was even thinking about that. And then he was the one that sort of said, okay, it's now gonna be called social responsibility. Um, and he, turned, he made it global and on and on. So I think it's not surprising. I mean, there's sort of, um, you know, there's good DNA here, I think, for the league. And, and Adam Silver, who um, was a counterpart of mine, <clears throat> has certainly, you know, taken that to a, to a diff different level as well. So as it relates to the WNBA, you know, I think it's, um, there, there's certainly, there's an effectiveness there that I sense, which is great. It is interesting to see um, how empowered the players are um, there and how the league is letting that happen. Mm -hmm. Don't always see that, um, to see the players taking charge in, in such an obvious and visible way. 
Um, and, you know, I think collectively, I just would share, I mean, we're in college sports, we're trying to do the same thing. I mean, you know, we're dealing with student athletes who are, were very moved by the events in, in May and June and long before that and want to see change happen and are looking to us as leaders to try to come up with a plan, not just putting out statements, but actually right. trying to do something. And so, you know, as it relates to like my current work, we're, we're doing all of it too. We're trying to do voting initiatives. We're supporting Black Lives Matter. We're trying to have conversations, important and difficult conversations, um, outside partnerships if needed. I mean, all of that is kind of on your menu as a leader of a sports organization if you want to try to get at this continuing festering problem in our in our country, in our world. So to see the WNBA um, with a similar mindset, I mean, th th that many of us in sports have is, it just reaffirms that they remain a beacon oh, um, for women yeah. in the business. That's a perfect word. All right, well, I'll wrap it up with one, one more question. Any comment as to who might win this uh, final this year? Seattle, Connecticut, Vegas, who are you placing your bets on? And I don't know. I mean, this is really, uh, everybody's got a reason, you know, and a motivation. Um, I know Connecticut is really inspired this year. Um, you know, it's, it's to S Seattle, they've got some all-time greats there. I mean, you know, they've just got some of that, that Yukon firepower there that you can never count out there. <laughs> so I don't have a prediction here. I mean, for me, it was always made the best team win and, and hopefully the officials will step up too and, and do their jobs when you're <laughs> working on that side of it, you're rooting for the refs as much as anything else. Yeah. So it would be a great, whatever happens, I'm sure it'll be a great finish. Oh, I'm so excited. I just, again, I can't thank you enough. This has seriously made uh, a lifelong dream come true. I remember being a little girl watching you on TV and just, just uh, you know, it's surreal to be able to talk to you. And I just really appreciate your time. Again, want to thank Val Ackerman for her time and for allowing me to geek out pretty much the entire time that I was speaking to her. She is such a legend and it was incredible to get to know her background, um, her sports background, but also her business mindset and what went into creating the league, forming the league, the trials, the errors, the obstacles, the negative criticism, all of it. I really appreciate her honesty and openness. Again, thank you so much, Val, for being on this podcast you are our first guest and what a guest that was you we are so honored on the next episode of the WNBA history club we dive deep into the los angeles sparks legacy the year is 2001 and the comets dynasty is no longer due to a little known player lisa leslie we're going to dive deep into la culture and what it looked like back then when lisa leslie really stepped into her own for the league it's going to be a good one Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Tara Lopez, and I'll see you next time.